Has the world ended yet? <sighs> no. You know, I didn't really think it would be taking so long. I thought it would be more immediate. Yeah. Well, what do we want to do while we wait? Talk about comics? Yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earths. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome to our uh, fourth episode in our Crisis on Infinite Earths series of, of Chris's on Infinite Earths. Yeah, so we are going to be discussing issue four of Crisis on Infinite Earths. So if you're not familiar with Crisis on Infinite Earths, or if you haven't listened to the first three episodes of this season of our podcast, uh, we recommend that you go back and give them a listen and we'll be here waiting for you. Yeah. And uh, Christy, what did you think of this issue right off the bat? Well, if our cold open didn't give it away, gosh, it feels like it's just taken forever for the world to end. Well, you know it's not going to take forever. This podcast. Or specifically, this summary. <laughs> summary. We start off this issue as Supergirl and Batgirl meet to discuss the antimatter-fueled ending of the world before Supergirl spots and saves a single flying plane. You gotta have your priorities, I guess. After an even briefer flash to a conversation between John Constantine and Steve Dayton, we cut to Pariah, who is experiencing yet another end of the world on Earth-6 with all the ennui thus associated. Lord Volt, Lady Quark, and their daughter, Princess Fern, try valiantly to save Earth-6 from the encroaching antimatter, but, as with all other tries, they are thwarted. Pariah, though, manages to rescue Lady Quark and spirit her away to places unknown. We then cut to Earth-1 Japan to see the birth of a new hero. Kimio Hoshi, a take-nothing-from-nobody scientist, belittles her colleagues, who are terrified and defeated by the threat of the antimatter. Hoshi, however, wishes to stay and finish her work, and in doing so sees a beam of light from the Vega system, which heads straight towards her. This beam seemingly obliterates her, but her father seems to think she has been taken somewhere. We see the mysterious evil figure's very dark headquarters again as he kidnaps the Red Tornado, a Justice League member, for nefarious purposes. In case you were wondering where Firestorm and Killer Frost from the very beginning of this story were, they are in medieval Earth 2 with yet another tower to save in King Arthur's court. They are joined by Sir Justin, a Pegasus-mounted knight, as they fight more shadows who emerge to attack the tower. In all eras, the assorted shadows merge into one large figure which simultaneously attack the Monitor's towers. As this occurs, yet another tower appears in the modern, well, 80s modern, Earth 1. The assembled heroes prepare to attack this unknown structure, only to be stopped by Hoshi, who is the new Dr. Light. Pariah arrives at the Monitor satellite, only to find out not only that the Monitor was responsible for him being alive and seeing all the other world's destructions, but also his plan. He plans on merging Earth 1 and 2 using his vibrational towers as they were supposedly meant to be. Before he can explain more, however, Harbinger attacks him using a vicious energy burst. With the monitor down, everyone is only able to watch as reality seems to go white. I 
have to say, I really enjoyed your summary of that issue. Maybe more than I enjoyed reading it. We'll see if my opinion changed after we discuss, because it normally does. But, gosh. Yeah, um, my summary kind of summarized it. I mean, I guess we can get into a little bit of the nitty gritty. There's a couple things that we did, that I didn't get into in the summary. But this issue seems to be almost filler until kind of the very end. Right. I, I just feel like all last issue, you know, the Earth 1 and 2 were ending. And now they're still ending. Yeah, it seems like... Not that it's not a big deal, but just... Well, it seems like the antimatter doesn't just, like, hit everything all at once. There's, like, pockets of it, which is kind of strange. So, like, some poor person's, like, using the bathroom and just gets devoured by, like, a tiny antimatter, but everybody else is fine. I mean, really, it seems like each issue is maybe covering, like, a five to ten minute span of time. Right. I guess so. It's just covering a lot of different places, five to ten minutes spans. So it's just, it just feels really slow and arduous because I know they're wanting to, the magnitude of what is happening, they want that to, us to really feel that. Right. But gosh, what I felt first when I read this issue was just sleepy. <laughs> yeah, she did actually fall asleep while she was reading. And, um, I have good reasons. Yep. <laughs> I'm a very tired pregnant lady. Yes. Who falls asleep all the time, inadvertently, sitting up, doesn't matter where. So it might not have necessarily been the issue, but it certainly didn't help. <laughs> all right, so let's start with the cover. All right. So cover, uh, we have the monitor yep. and Pariah together, which is kind of interesting because yep. we haven't seen them together to this point. True. And uh, the monitor's not looking so great. And above him... Is a threat is a somewhat threatening harbinger, mm-hmm. who definitely looks like she probably is the one who blasted the monitor. Mm-hmm. This is literally the last scene of the comic, and they kind of spoil it with the cover. Well, can you really spoil it when it's been building to harbinger's <sighs> going to kill monitor for like all of the issues so far? Do you remember the 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 bit where she's like, "Now I will finally strike," and it's literally at the end of last issue, and it takes her the entire this entire issue to go for it. I think we just flip between so many perspectives that it makes it seem way slower. We may eventually cover a comic called Secret Invasion, which um, was the very first crossover that I was getting in issues. And it kind of has the same problem. And I'm getting like a flashback to that. Mm -hmm. I think it, I think it's just a pitfall, like a potential pitfall for crossovers that cover a lot of different characters and perspectives. Right. If you're wanting to do it all in real time, it's going to move really slowly. Yeah. So you kind of almost have to make the, like when they're doing something, you cut, there's ways around it, I feel like. Right. But this, uh, this comic doesn't necessarily do it. So on our first page, we have Supergirl kind of flying around in a city. And I don't think it actually says what city. It just is a city. Yeah. Uh, It's kind of interesting because it says the red skies are hardly noticed now. Now, I'm not sure if the Red Skies refer to something else that's going on outside of this crossover. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, in this, in, on this page, the skies are black. Yeah, it definitely seems like it's just nighttime. Okay. Yeah. But there's also... Kind we can of, see the antimatter in the distance. I'm we like, can. I thought the antimatter was moving much faster. Maybe this is a particularly slow batch of antimatter. Okay. So Supergirl is showing up in whatever city this is to meet with Batgirl. Mm-hmm. She just calls her Barbara. Yeah, Babs. 
Well, I don't, I don't think she gets called Babs here. She does not. I think she, Babs I is a newer thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, newer than Crisis. Right. <laughs> so on the, the next page, Barbara Gordon as Batgirl is just kind of sitting on the edge of a building with binoculars. Mm-hmm. And Supergirl meets up with her. And Batgirl is just basically talking about how useless she feels. Which, I've read some newer Batgirl, and it's not entirely different than some... Not not the newest stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's not entirely different from how Batgirl sometimes is. Just a little sulky. Maybe it's a bat thing. <laughs> those, those bat folk. <laughs> they're so sulky. Yeah, and they're they're just kind of talking about... The, how they're both scared, but Batgirl's like, well, easy for you to say, Supergirl, you have powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Supergirl in the middle of this conversation, I love this this Supergirl, though, because she's wearing like a red headband. Yeah, she looks so 80s. Yeah, her hair is but, pretty curly. Mm-hmm. She, so, yeah, her headband... Her headband is worn in like '80s, almost sweatband style. Yeah, it's... with a little curly mop just flopping over the top of it. Right. Batgirl also looks that if she was like if she wasn't wearing her cowl, her hair might be exactly the same way. Maybe because she's got a little. She's mo- got the a lot curls, of curls are a little bit more relaxed, but yeah, no, possibly. I actually love. I love their uh, their this particular incarnation and their the the, the costuming. I think it's really classic. I know I mean, that's a weird thing to suddenly mention. <laughs> I mean, it is very classic, like, Supergirl and Batgirl right here. Right. I mean, it's just any children's costume that you order of a Batgirl, Supergirl, this is what it's going to be. This is what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. God, is it weird that I'm suddenly just bringing up the costuming? <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, I'll try so to bring in, it up later. So in the middle of this panel, she uh, Supergirl notices this small, like, prop plane yeah it looks like it's i don't know does it look kind of like a little army plane maybe it's just colored like it's it's kind of almost camo colored so in my mind it was an army plane but i don't know if it necessarily is but yeah this plane flying in this dark lightning storm sky with antimatters having some trouble who would have seen that coming yeah he seems to be flying toward it is it is a guy seems to be flying toward the antimatter a little bit I don't how, know. How can you tell it's a guy flying the plane? Uh, after Supergirl saves him. Oh, I didn't realize we saw. Oh, okay. It's clearly it's a all dude it's all blue. It's all blue. Yeah. E and weird. I don't know why it's blue. Uh, because uh, it's looking through Batgirl's binoculars. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. So I noticed great details. <laughs> Supergirl <laughs> flies off, saves him from the plane getting ripped to pieces, and Batgirl's like. Like, Supergirl's still saving people. Like, what am I doing? She's having some real, real moments. And that's all we get from Batgirl. At least in this issue. We are not... This is this is it for Supergirl and Batgirl. We now have, like, a little cut to John Constantine hanging out with Rit, with a guy named Steve Dayton, who is the world's fifth richest man. And I had to look up Steve Dayton, because that is not a DC familiar... Or a DC hero I'm familiar with, rather. And Steve Dayton is um a... Um, a person who his super his superhero name is Mento, like the Fresh Maker. Wait, it's Mentos is the Fresh Maker. So okay. this is Mento. I thought that Men so Mentos, even if you have one, is just a is a Mentos. I think so. Okay, I think I I thought that Mentos meant like the package of them, like Skittles. So when you you, oh. you don't eat a Skittles, you eat a Skittle. So I always thought of it as a Mento, but you could be right. Maybe it is Mentos and many Mentos, kind of like kind of like deer and deer. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm entirely wrong, but. I was just trying to set up for if you dump Diet Coke on this guy, does he just start like fizzing mm. all over the place? Well, they certainly look like they have some drinks there that they may have been mixing. So they're. Yeah, probably not Diet Coke. Seems uh, seems like some single malt or something. Um, where Steve Dayton is 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 kind of rich guy lamenting the end of the world, mm-hmm. and uh, John Constantine's like, "Now nah, we're not going to die." See, and I feel like little sections like this are why Crisis is taking so long. Yeah. They want to like give a little cameo to every DC character possible if you were a super entrenched dc person at this point in time you were probably like sure stoked yeah it does make it different like i would never recommend crisis to someone just getting into comics no and i it was one of the first dc comics i read and what was i thinking yeah this is so confused like i can't imagine if i had been a kid in the 80s at this time, if I had been born then and picked up this comic, mm-hmm. wanting to get into comics and not having, like, the internet or, like, any resources to figure out who these people were, I just, I wouldn't have finished it. Yeah, it would have been rather difficult. I mean, this comic series has, like, Superman and also that dude in his haunted tank. Right. We <laughs> have the full gamut. Yeah. But, yeah, John Constantine seems to think that the world is not going to end. And he kind of mentioned Swamp Thing. Okay. You, you don't know Swamp Thing. No. Swamp Thing is a is like a dude who's also kind of like a creature who's like the spirit of the earth. Okay. So he would know if the world's ending because he's Swamp Thing. I think that's what they're alluding to. Okay. John Constantine is not <laughs> John Constantine is not Swamp Thing. He's just John Constantine. So what does John Constantine do in DC Comics? Well, you you watch the show with me a little bit, right? He's just, he's a magic guy. The show? There's a show, Constantine. I did? Yeah. It didn't last very long. Oh. He would, like, investigate, like, supernatural things, and he wore a trench coat, and he was British and smoked a lot. Oh, wait, did he have, like, a young woman Yeah, I I don't think that's always true in the comics, though. I think it was just true for the show. Okay. I remember now. Yeah, that's John Constantine. See, you just have to remind me of the females in the story for it to trigger for me. Fair enough. I'm a little biased that way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So as soon as we see Steve and John Constantine, we kind of flit away from them. We see another shot of worlds getting disintegrated. My favorite thing about these worlds getting disintegrated is it sometimes shows the ocean crumbling, almost like it's Earth. And I'm like, okay. You know, maybe the antimatter freezes the water first. Who knows? Yeah, sure. And I mean, there, there's there's crust beneath. Yeah, beneath every, the ocean. Yeah, so if the world's exploding, but yeah, I, I would I would argue that yes, it it's like it would like. But it's antimatter, so it's not even like exploding anything. It's just antiing yeah. it. Oh, whatever. <laughs> so we see Pariah, who is making a very Pariah face, and he's talking about. He's somewhere, and uh, he, it's happening again, mm-hmm. another end of the world. So we get another scene where Pariah is in the middle of a city. Definitely not our Earth, though. You can tell by the architecture. It's kind of, like, capsule futuristic. Yeah, this is, like, an interesting Earth, which I had to look up because I just... Lord Volt and Lady Lady Clark. Clark. Yeah, those are the superheroes. Uh-huh. So this is Earth 6, Earth six yep. which is as if the... U.S. had not won the Revolutionary War. Right. So 
and America's had been a monarchy. Yes, but the monarchs are these superheroes. Yes, who protect us all. Yep, and also rule over us, hopefully benevolently. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So we have Lord Volt, Lady Quark, and then their their daughter. Who I had to look up her name because they call her by her first name. She's Princess Fern. Yep. And it, as far as I know, I think this is their first appearance. They have stuff later on. Really? That's pretty interesting. Well, they think Pariah caused this. Mm-hmm. So they start to attack him. But Yeah, because they were somehow able to detect that he was the only alien life form on the planet. Which... Uh, xenophobic much <laughs> right like how did they have that kind of technology yeah i don't know but um he's unable to be killed so any of their efforts to i guess hurt him or stop him mm-hmm. it's part of his curse he can't die he has to watch horrific events for the rest of time right and as princess fern tries to kind of stop him with her uh sort of vine powers she uh gets consumed by the white antimatter cloud. Mm-hmm. And her parents start to rush towards her, but her dad gets there first, and he also is consumed by antimatter. Right. But before Lady Quark can rush after him, Pariah, who now has a hood up, just his eyes showing, which is, like, real creepy looking. Yeah. Um, just grabs her, and as the antimatter cl- cloud comes, he whisks her away. Which... I don't know how, because apparently he's tried to say, I think he said he's tried to save people or stop things before. Didn't try hard enough. I guess, because for all intents and purposes, it seems as though she's gone with him. Yes. And they kind of poof out of existence as the antimatter consumes the planet. We get another one of those, like, series of panels of, like, the Earth slowly being consumed and then nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. We get a decent amount of those. That doesn't make them any less, like, pretty. They do look very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So now we're back to the monitor satellite, where the monitor's sitting and and beep-booping on some Mm -hmm. controls. Yep. He apparently is uh, on the lookout for his next Dr. Light. Right. And um, a, a beam of energy hits the Vagan star system, which... It, it like reacts with the star there and shoots another beam of light. And then we go to a... Um, so I really love that you know the pronunciation there because I totally would have read that as just vegan. The vegan star, star system. system. <laughs> Nobody there eats meat. It's just uh, it's just a lot of veg- ve- vegetable eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's vega, and so it's vegan. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's vega and vegan. I'm going to trust you on this one. Readers right in. <laughs> so we uh we now go to an observatory in Japan. I guess an observatory? It definitely is a big telescope, but they mm-hmm. kind of seem like they're doing other things. Where these scientists are freaking out. Mm-hmm. You know, as one would do at the end of the world. Now, maybe you as a more avid comic book reader can explain to me this. Why is it that like we know that they are speaking Japanese here, but most of the time when people are speaking another language, it's indicated somehow with like symbols and those things. But is it when everybody's speaking that different language? You don't need to do that, I guess. Uh, it really depends. I've so- there's Sometimes you'll get an editor's caption that says translated from Japanese, just mm-hmm. like like at the top of the first time that it's, it's right. done. 
In this, I mean, it really just depends. I don't think there's a one size fits all. In this comic, I think later they indicate it with like little right, brackets or that, something. That threw me off because I, well, the first, my first read through. Now, granted, I was falling asleep. My sure. first read through. <laughs> my first read through. I didn't realize. Oh, they're all speaking a different language here, which I suppose is my fault for not realizing. Oh, Japan. Presumably, they're all speaking Japanese. So when she came in and was speaking another language, I'm like. Is this the same? Is this the same chick, or is this like an alien, like speaking alien? No, she's just okay, okay. So it was a, it was some adjusting for me. Oh, that's fair. She, I mean, she looks quite a bit different. Mm-hmm. I mean, quite a bit. She definitely still looks similar, but right. So these scientist dudes are freaking out, and the one woman at this whole place comes up and is and calls them miserable toads. Yeah, she has no patience for their for their ridiculousness. They're like, the world's ending. Can we please leave work to go home and be with our families? And she's like, uh, no. The bit where her dad is there and says, I didn't <laughs> oh raise gosh. my daughter to be so cold. These men are frightened. And she says, and you rise to their defense, father. You were as weak as they. No wonder mother left you. <laughs> she is like vicious. Right. Um, she is, she is a stereotype, I think. I just, I'm not quite sure. Oh, just a very cold woman? Yeah, just like the the cold, cold bitter, overbearing woman. I don't know. Uh, Which. She's she's kind of great in her own way, but it's yeah. like, it's like taken to a pretty high level. Well, I, I just feel like it's like, oh, she is a woman in like science and in a place of power. She's obviously a B word. Uh, we're editing that out. You can't say B word on this podcast. Uh, yeah, she's, she's kind of the, she's like Bryce Dallas Howard and that's Jurassic Park. Well, no, because she was she also She just like, seems like when men are powerful and authoritative, they don't have to be mean about it. But sometimes when women are in a position of power and authority, they're, they're portrayed as mean and overbearing mm-hmm. when, so I take issue with that a little bit. That's fair. As a woman, um, she well, she kicks the dudes out um, mm-hmm. and says that she, she'll just she'll just stay here by herself. And so then she kind of looks at a through her telescope and says, "Huh, that's so crazy that I can see the Vega system from light years away. I can just see this star on my telescope. Must be something wrong with the universe." <laughs> And then she's like, oh, no, it's headed right for me. Yeah, and it, like, blows her up, maybe, probably, with a yag. Yag is the sound effect they use, which is pretty great. Comic sound effects are kind of my favorite. Yep, they're pretty fantastic. And um, the scientists look through the wreckage, and they cannot find her. But her father doesn't think she's dead. He just thinks that something took her. Mm. But, um... Says he says wherever you are, no matter what you become, I still love you. Mm-hmm. No wonder mother left you. <laughs> no wonder mother left you. <laughs> Woof. Oh, so then we see the monitor again, who is watching this reaction of the scientists on his little screen. Yep. The monitor is. I love how the monitor and whatever evil person is in this comic both just look at people through screens. How do they see all this? They're just looking at screens. They're just having some evil plots and some good plots, just looking at screens. Yeah, it's very, it's very uh, Inspector Gadget. Mm-hmm. Well, Harbinger's also looking at a screen of the oh, monitor, the- <laughs> looking at a screen. We have to go deeper. 
And, uh, then... and you know what's even better is Alexander Luther is looking at a screen of Harbinger. <laughs> yes. Looking at a screen of the monitor, looking at a screen of these scientists. <laughs> and we're reading the comic in a panel, looking at Alexander Luther. In the hole, in the ground, and the green grass grows all around, all around. Who's looking at us? <laughs> uh, I think our readers, in a sense. Yeah. It's like kind of a window, an audio, an audio window. Uh huh. Hopefully, they're not physically looking at us that while would be listening creepy. to this, because that would be a little too much. Yeah. So Harbinger is still kind of talking about how she must destroy the monitor, and Alexander Luther also is like, "Yeah, he's totally gonna kill her." But little does she know, no, she's totally going to kill him. Oh yeah, she's. I'm sorry, she's totally gonna kill him. But little does she know that that's what he wants all along. Mm-hmm. Alexander Luther kind of looks like a young adult now. Maybe he's a little older than a teenager. Right. I don't know. He seems like, like the, a grown man in terms of how he talks. The art here is kind of interesting because I'm assuming this is supposed to be somewhat of a reflection, but maybe it's just something weird about him. But you No, can... he's remember because he's like half antimatter or whatever. I think that's what... Oh, kind of that's how they're that. depicting it. Because it looks like he just has space on the side of his face. <laughs> Alexander Luther is half man, half space. <laughs> it just looks like instead of like some hair and some skin. Just some space. Has, like, is that like a reflection or is that like part of his just body now? I'm like, how did I not ever notice that in any prior panels? Maybe I just always assumed it was some sort of shadowing. It's just space. I don't know. He's he's just got a lot of space. Um, yeah, he's just kind of like Kirby Dots, the person. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that's going at a quick pace right now is his ma- maturity. Badoom. <laughs> so now we take a quick page to um, the the evil person and his his way bigger screen. He has a huge screen. It has to be big enough so he is just a silhouette. He exists as a silhouette. Right. And then Psycho Pirate is, of course, kind of his kind of his Renfield, his Igor, if you will, just chilling next to him. Master. <laughs> the blood is the life. And this evil guy, this this unseen menace that we still have not figured out the identity of, needs to steal the Justice League member known as Red Tornado who is a robot guy who makes a tornado out of half of his body. Which I'm sure for reasons that are important that will become clear later, but they are not clear now. Nope. So they just kind of steal him and red tornado is pretty mad about that. Um, I like the line here where he says where he asks where he is and says, you are the psycho pirate. You will manipulate emotions, which thanks red tornado. I totes forgot. (laughs) Might as well call him states the obvious guy. Red states the obvious guy. <laughs> they just take him too. They like they like beam him up. Right. Well, you know, the both good and evil seem to be doing that. Yeah, they're just no they just don't care. I just take you. I take you. What if Red Tornado was having like a nice lunch and <laughs> just leaves? I think he was rescuing people. Yeah, he was no no no. So we see this evil guy watching Red Tornado on the monitor, saving people like from buildings, flying through the air. Luckily, it looks like he'd set them down before he zapped him up. So right. I guess there's that. Yeah. Well, this guy is definitely causing all the antimatter, so. 
But he let Red Tornado set the people down first <laughs> like, before well, zapping them up. I'll here. eventually get him. <laughs> and then uh, he, uh, Red Tornado, doesn't seem like he's going to cooperate. But then we kind of zip away. Mm-hmm. And now we're 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 catching up with Killer Frost and Firestorm. Mm-hmm. And the interesting little back and forth between them. Right. If she's forced to love him, and he's like, "Gosh, why? Why?" Right. Mm-hmm. He kind of starts warming up to her a little bit in a weird way. Yeah. Like he calls her a looker. Well, he's been saying that she's pretty and she's cute and all these things this whole time, but <laughs> she is cute, but she is she sure is evil. Right. I and like if I kiss her, I'd become a popsicle. I like that Firestorm's inner conflict is this girl's pretty, but she's also evil and she's only being made to be nice to me. Yep. Uh, th- you travel back in time with someone who once tried to kill you, who is now completely in love with you, and you got nobody else. At least with Firestorm, you're two people in one head. Um, since, you know, he's got Martin Stein and Ronnie Raymond chilling out up there. Mm-hmm. And then we see... Watching them from a window, just uh, sipping on some wine. Commander William T. Riker. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. It kind of looks that way. He looks like a, lot, a lot like him. It's Vandal Savage. Yeah. Yeah, Vandal Savage, the the immortal bad guy who is in D.C. Yep. He's not doing a whole lot of bad things, though. He's just kind of sipping in from a goblet. This is just a little cameo of, hey, look, we shoved another character into this story. Right. Um. So the reason why they're here... Uh, we probably should mention, is that one of those big towers has appeared in King Arthur's court. Mm-hmm. In, uh, it doesn't say the year, just it's the time of the Knights of the Round Table. Yes. Right. Um, now, Vandal Savage could have conceivably popped up in any single one of these different time periods that they were at, right? Yes. Vandal Savage is an immortal. Um, there's a comic so. where Bruce Wayne is in Caveman Times and Vandal Savage is also there. Like, he is. See, that to me just almost seems like a bit of a paradox, because if he exists, if he was in this time and then another time that was being got by the Antimatter, would future him already know or have some idea or memory of? I think that will be cleared up by the end of this comic to some extent. Kind of in a hand-wavy way. Of course. The weird thing about this is there's the time and there's the meta-time of at this instant in all time something is happening. Right. Which is something that's absolutely impossible and really comic booky, but it's like... It's kind of hard to conceive of. Because, mm-hmm. like, Doctor Who does that, where they're like, there was a time when there was a time war, but it also took place over every time. So the time war was every time, time war, time, time, every time. Yeah. Yeah. And so Doctor Who always blew my mind like that. I was like, so it's like the timeline of the timeline. You you just you just have to enjoy it for what it is, I guess. Right. Um so they have the these guys have no time to enjoy King Arthur's court. Mm-mm. Oh, that but was, they, did you hear that segue? That was impressive. That was really impressive. That was good wordsmithing, <laughs> but now we're off track again talking about your wordsmithing. So, uh, uh we have uh our heroes see Sir Justin. The Shining Knight, mm-hmm. who's a dude who rides a Pegasus called Winged Victory. Mm-hmm. Which, it took me a second to figure out that that was the Pegasus's name. And he wasn't just proclaiming Winged Victory. <laughs> it's just like an exclamation he uses. <laughs> um, where apparently Firestorm knows 
Sir Justin, the Shining Knight, but he, the Shining Knight does not know him. So I'm guessing this is, they come to a time before like they'd met or something. Right. I'm not sure. It It's kind of a moot point because demons start flying out of the, out of the towers again. Yeah. It's weird. They kind of like come out of the towers, but also seem to attack the towers. I don't know. And they're just kind of shadow people. Mm-hmm. And Vandal Savage is like. A little freaked out by this. Very freaked out. My favorite bit is when he says, I must know more if I am to control the world. I have to know more about these shadows that are terrifying if I am to control the world. Well. This world. This world. Well, whatever. Whatever Vandal Savage. Yeah. Maybe Vandal Savage doesn't know that there's other worlds. Or maybe he does, and that's why he's seeing this world. Mm -hmm. This is Earth 2 as well, which is interesting. So this this is not Earth 1. This is not King Earth. Is there a different King Arthur's court in Earth 1? You know, we don't know that, and that's beyond our scope. Mm -hmm. Um, So Firestorm and Killer Frost are fighting off the shadows, as per the huge. And they know that the shadows really aren't that intimidating, which is interesting because there have definitely been shadows that have totally overwhelmed some of the heroes. So does it depend on the hero's powers that are fighting them, or does it just... Depend on the know. strength of the shadows somewhat. It seems like the shadows that are that are that attack the towers are weaker than the ones that attacked the monitor satellite, right? Maybe. But there were I mean, we still had we still had Blue Beetle who was like terribly getting wounded. Real beat up by him. Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe I uh, maybe we'll find out. And we had Solovar that was near death. He got killed by one. Oh, and then he was, and then he was zipped but away. Maybe just before he died, he was zipped away. So we don't know if he really died or not. <laughs> Wouldn't that be weird to just find out later? Solovar has died, like, off panel. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> so they seem to destroy all these shadows. Um, Sir Justin can shoot lasers out of his sword, so that's neat. Yeah, but then the shadows start to merge into one giant super shadow. Right. They, like, really pile on. It's, like, a lot. But they, they're merging in every era. Yeah. Simultaneously. So, like, every place that there seems to be a tower, there is also a giant mm-hmm. merging super shadow. And they don't seem happy about that tower. No, they definitely want to Godzilla this tower. The The shadow thing has become bigger than all of the towers. Mm-hmm. And we see the heroes in all of the different times and worlds reacting in shock and horror to the shadows um, that are towering over the towers that were towering over everything else. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot of towering. <laughs> a lot of towering. And um, cowering. And then um, finally, a tower seems to appear in whatever city they were in, uh, the present day heroes in Earth One. Yes. Yeah, we had, we had like, uh, was it the last issue that we had like everybody? We had Batman, Superman, and, The Outsiders. And, yeah, because yeah, we made the joke about the book. <laughs> Stay gold, pony boy. <laughs> um, and. So this tower has appeared, and they just assume that it's probably causing the disaster. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's correlated. Uh, they're, they're definitely related. You know? Yeah. Uh, but then we see, as they go to attack it, we have this proclamation of no, but it's in another language, as indicated by the little carrots on the side of it. Yeah, meaning like... Meaning like carrots that you would type on the computer, like the little greater than and less than symbols. Not a not delicious the, vegetable. Yeah. <laughs> There's carrots on the side. <laughs> She's speaking bunny. Uh, and it's Dr. Light. It's the it's the new Dr. Light who is Hoshi. 
Yes. And um, she, she's, of course, insulting everybody, calling them stupid cretins. <laughs> well, because they they don't know what they're doing. So um, Starfire and Halo are going to attack her. I love, I don't, Halo says, I don't like the way she's acting. I can't understand her, Starfire. <laughs> Better shoot her. <laughs> um, but she's defending the machine and she tells them that she's going to show them what the new Dr. Light can do and has this huge blast of light energy or something to mm-hmm. uh, blast Starfire and Halo back. Which, yeah, they can't do too much about. So Katana says, no, she's not our enemy. Has everyone forgotten I speak Japanese? <laughs> Which, could they identify it was Japanese up until that point? Or are they that, like... I don't know. I don't think I would be able to identify that I was hearing the Japanese language, even if I don't didn't know what they were saying. Well, I don't know about Halo, but Starfire is an alien, so that's true. She she definitely has some a learning curve. There. She literally learned English by kissing Robin. Well, I feel like then she should probably be fluent in Japanese, because if all you got to do is kiss somebody to learn a language, <laughs> you just should go, be multilingual. Yeah, just go kiss some people. Um, it also seems like Superman speaks Japanese because he just flies over to her and starts speaking Japanese to her, to Dr. Light. Because he's real cosmopolitan. I think, so this is still technically like Silver Age Superman. He could just learn things like that, like really fast. Oh. Yeah. I didn't realize Superman was super smart. In the Silver Age, Superman had super everything powers. It was like super learning, super... That's right. Didn't he have, he had his whole, he has his, uh. He had the, the, the whole Fortress of Solitude Fortress with the menagerie. Solitude. Yeah, with all of his science st- Yeah. Yeah, where he's oh. like. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Do you, do you miss Silver Age Superman stuff? Oh. It's so goofy. <laughs> uh, readers, we once recorded a pilot for a podcast we never did where we read really, really, like, old Silver Age comics from, like, the Essentials line of DC stuff. And the first one we read was the first appearance of the Fortress of Solitude, and it was pretty good. It was fantastic. It's so goofy. Yes. It was everything I wanted. Everything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Superman wants to know what Dr. Light is doing. And so Dr. Light just kind of explains to him that a bunch of universes have already been destroyed, the anti-water sweeping through our universe, and only she can help them. And so Superman's like, um, sure, let's do it. Like, I will, I will sacrifice myself if need be to help you out. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, glad we were able to actually talk yeah. this out. Did everybody forget? Apparently everybody forgot that Katana knew Japanese and that Superman knew Japanese. Right. Halo just was like, I don't understand her. She's probably bad. <laughs> so now we uh, do a brief aside to Paradise Island, which mm-hmm. is... The Yeah. I think they're technically the same thing. They are. Okay. I looked it up. I don't know why they call it different. I think it, it's whatever incarnation of Wonder Woman they call it one thing or the other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, they have basically decided, it seems, that there there's nothing they can do. They're like, the gods have said there's nothing they can do either. So... We can't do anything about this antimatter. Yeah, and Diana, Wonder Woman, is kind of pissed that they're just kind of giving up. Like, we could go and fight. And they're like, nope, we're just going to chill. 
Uh, and that's kind of all we get from Wonder Woman. Because we just need a cameo of everybody. Every DC character that we can possibly fit onto a page. I did think that these panels were particularly cool. I like the way that uh, George Perez draws Wonder Woman characters. I I would say that I love the way that pretty much everything is drawn in George, this comic so George far. Perez is... The drawing and layout is great. Yeah, George Perez is excellent. I actually have some George Perez Wonder Woman that we could probably read. Mm-hmm. Uh he is like he's one of the greats. Uh, I don't I don't know how to be more specific than that. Right. Like even if the story moves slow, it still looks really nice. Right. I I prefer the art to this on this to the art that was in Secret Wars. Yeah. I think it. I think it's just it's like more intricate. I you know we're not really like art critics by any means. If the story's gonna move slow. It better darn well look pretty. Right. You better get George Perez to draw it. <laughs> So now we zip back to the monitor satellite somewhere in space and time. Right. And he just keeps saying, he saps my strength as each universe dies. It's going so, so fast. So we know the bad guy's a dude. Yeah. We've kind of figured that out a little bit. Just kind of, just making some guesses based on build, which could have been inaccurate. But now the the evil has been gendered. Right. <laughs> 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 if we did episode titles, that would have to be the title of this episode. The evil has been gendered. Oh, boy. Um, so the monitor says that basically, even though he sent all these heroes in space and time, that it's he's not ready yet. And it's Harbinger, Luther, him, and Pariah are all that stand between. Oh, but we're interrupted by the arrival of the Pariah. Mm-hmm. Who does not have Lady Vault with him? Lady right. Clark, this is going to be hard for me. Yep. <laughs> he does not. So you kind of wonder what happened there. But Pariah is drawn to uh, events that are sad and catastrophic. So his presence here uh, foreshadows that, hey, things are going to happen. Right. Pariah is shocked that the Monitor knows who he is. Right. But of course the Monitor knows who he is because he's responsible for his curse. Pariah's curse. Yes. He's like, well, you could have died, but I thought you could be more useful this way. Right. I do love that Pariah tends to start every introduction to people with, I'm cursed to watch millions die all around me. It's it's like, the guy's kind of a, his MO is like, I'm here, I'm, I'm going to watch people die, I'm going to peace out, but I got to tell you about it. Right. Well, I think after probably watching it so many times that you just feel like you need to give that disclaimer of like, this is who I am. This is why I'm here. I know you're confused. I'm sorry. You're about to die. Speed dating with Pariah. You sit down and there's a dude with a cape and like the, because he's got like the dark eyes or whatever. And he's Mm -hmm. like, hello, I'm Pariah. I've, um, I've been cursed to watch the death of untold millions. And you're like, oh, well I work in real estate. He's like, not for long. Not for long. Won't be any. Um, what's great is that Pariah is like so, is like very understandably angry at the monitor for making you know making him suffer all the pain of the all of this loss. Like, you should be grateful. I sacrificed much of my own life to see that you that you were lived. You should be grateful. Wow, wow. The mon- monitor is not necessarily the most. Um, the most he, sympathetic figure. He's not a people person. No. Kind of just a He has a mission in mind and he's not gonna he's not gonna sugarcoat any bit of it for anybody. Nope. And then we see um some of our our heroes. I'm assuming this is on the monitor screen. 
the heroes fighting the big shadow monsters. Yes, yeah, specifically the ones who are in King Arthur's court. And Pariah calls him sick for just watching people futilely fighting for their own survival. But then the monitor explains what those towers are actually for. So we get a really cool layout on the next page of, like, mm-hmm. five grids all in a row. In the middle, like, the antimatter shooting between Earths, the towers on the outside, the monitor on one side of the shocked face of Pariah it's on the other. very symmetrical and beautiful and a lot going on here. And... This is why I, I generally, when I read comics digitally, I do the panel by panel view. So I'm just getting the panels close up. And I'm really glad I went back through this comic to look at full page mm-hmm. because the layouts everywhere are gorgeous. And especially on this page, the whole thing is just beautiful. Right. I believe in the original, this was a two page spread. Yeah. Since, I mean, that's easy to tell because it's landscape on the, on our comic apps. But. Um, as the heroes are fighting, it, it's the monitor explains that Earth 1 and 2 are the ones that are supposed to die next, and their fates are linked together. Mm-hmm. So what the towers are going to do is try to merge these worlds together, because the universe was apparently split apart at the dawn of time, and they weren't meant to be, so each world is weaker. So if he manages to bring the worlds together, which are separated by by vibrations, then they'll be stronger. And we know that these worlds are separated by by vibrations because that was how the Flash was able to travel between them. Mm-hmm. I say we. I just just that's that it's it's been set up before. This isn't like yes. a new thing for DC. Um, but Pariah's like, nope. They're going to die anyway. Why did you make me watch and suffer? You are you can't change the past and the future. What are you doing? And the monitor's like, well, I'm doing my best. Um, all my strength is being conserved for the end. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is uh, apparently pretty darn close. Yeah, because we hear uh, Harbinger yelling, too late, old fool. Mm-hmm. And then he... Very, in a very, like, Jesus-like way, says, Lila, do what you must. It's, it's right. this real Judas oh. moment. Oh, yeah. I mean, and even before Harbinger shows up, he says, Pariah, do me this favor. Do not harm her until all is made clear. <laughs> I know. If they really want... They wanted us to think that the monitor was a Jesus figure. This is definitely... <laughs> the mm-hmm. time so forgive her for she knows not what she does yeah so harbinger in like a huge display of power like blasts him and like bits of his armor and stuff are flying off and um she seems to be a little conflicted as she's doing it but she is commanded by the evil force that is like somewhat mm-hmm. inhabited her. and he just kind of welcomes it like you know i've been waiting for you like kind of get on with it right well, and kind of as quickly as she came, Harbinger seems to revert back to her form as Lila, and then just like plummets. Yeah, down this. I don't. I don't know what's go- all going on with his satellite, but it's just so, down a long towery tube thing. I don't know. And Pariah is understandably. He just his expressions in each of these pages is, or each of these panels is just a little hilarious. Like it's. It's just he's like very like. He's got huge, dark, deep eyes and very defining cheekbones that convey so much emotion. Right. So he rushes over to the monitor, who is, he confirms as as deceased. Yes. But monitor, you know, uh, monitor. Pariah doesn't really know what to do now. It's like, I think I've seen the end of everything. I think I've seen the end of all hope. 
Yeah. And then uh, we get just a couple of pages of all the heroes reacting to the Earths, which look like they are being consumed. Um, Earth 1 and right. 2 look like they are and just whiting out. Still, still looks so pretty the layouts on all these panels or uh, this page with the... right we've got harbinger Har- harbinger sorry pariah there's just a lot of like people with just like one word names and i'm mm-hmm. struggling we have pariah's cries like in a cascading series of panels di- diagonally down the page that are just slowly fading yeah they're kind of getting washed out and mm-hmm. until it's white and then, then we have a series of like long uh, horizontal patterns of the Earths, uh, the different Earths being consumed by the antimatter, and then some rectangular little panels on top of all that of the heroes' uh, reactions. Right. This. And then on the final page, we seem to have a big sequence of Earths that look like they are panel by panel being, well, Earths and other planets that are uh, fading to blue and then white and then nothing yeah and then the very last page is a nine panel grid of just white and then white with a little bit of smoke and then and i wondered is this smoke or is this the shadow yeah i guess it's kind of tough it kind of i mean it's kind of smoky but it's tough to know and then the last panel in the nine panel grid is black so it turns slowly from white to Mm -hmm. gray to black and then that's the end of this issue very pretty but Gosh, it took forever for that world to end. Yeah, I definitely think the strongest part of this issue were the page layouts and the art specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was good to get. We I th- feel like it's finally getting moving now. So yeah, I'm I'm really hoping for that pace to pick up in the next issue. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, would we like to go on to accolades? Accolades. All right. Do you want to start with your best line? My best line is from Sir Justin, mm-hmm. the Shining Knight, who says um, when when he sees the uh, when he sees Firestorm and Killer, Killer Frost, Frost. Thank you. By my troth, winged victory. Those fancily garbed strangers spoke my true name, since his true name is Sir Justin. Mm-hmm. He's a knight. He's not like in disguise. <laughs> so we have somewhat have a daily double here. Um, my best line, I just said anything by Sir Justin. He is so over the top and like flowery. It's so good. It's delightful. Yeah. He was one of my favorite parts of this issue. It's like Thor times two. It is a lot. Um, Or By my troth. mm Mm-hmm. That's a, that's quite an oath. (laughs) Oh. All right. Uh, greatest hero. My greatest hero is Dr. Light. Since she's. I mean, she's barely there, and she already kind of gets the program, and is gonna gonna save the day. Mm. I feel like she was the one who made the most difference, since the rest of them were just kind of like sitting around these towers, not knowing what to do. My greatest hero was Pariah. He popped up a few times in the issue. Mm-hmm. He tries to save Lady Cork, and um, theoretically succeeds. Theoretically, and then we discover that his entire curse supposedly has some sort of purpose for good. So he's endured probably more suffering than any other character for reasons that he didn't understand that are going to become incredibly important for saving the world. I didn't really think of that about him that way. I always just, I I read this comic first when I was kind of young and I, Mm -hmm. I just thought of Pariah as very whiny. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, you, you make a really good point there. And it is, it's good that he kind of tries to do what he can. Right. Uh, I don't think, Pariah's not like a dude who I feel like sticks around much after Crisis. So this is kind of, I think this is kind of his, kind of his moment to shine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Part of me almost wonders if, I, I mean, I, I don't know how everything turns out, but if Pariah is just sort of, I know he's almost kind of our narrator through some of this. Like, he's the constant. He is kind of... Maybe the maybe not quite the point of view character, but right because he close. wasn't at all in the last issue. Right, but I just almost wonder if this was the author somewhat inserting himself. Uh, I'm not sure, but yeah, Pariah is definitely kind of the glue of this comic. Mm-hmm. All right, coolest moment. My Co- coolest moment came down less to what was actually happening and more to the layout and mm-hmm. the art that went along with it. I loved. The double page spread um, with Pariah uh, or with the monitor on the left side and Pariah on the right side uh, while all the worlds are being destroyed. And it has the cool layout and art and it just looked really nice. I think you're allowed to have a coolest moment that just happens to sort of be the how the comic is portrayed. Mm-hmm. It's definitely very cool. I think the stuff that's done with the layouts in Crisis uh, kind of blows Secret Wars out of the water. Because, mm-hmm. like, it, it it really plays with the comic book medium in a way that, like, it would be difficult to portray something like that in a movie. Right. Um, I mean, you it would just kind of be like a flash between. But since in comics you can kind of do a lot at once. Right. It really takes advantage of the, the just the medium itself, the art mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. My coolest moment is uh, not as cool layout-wise. More cool is in, like, just viscerally Story-wise, cool. Yeah. yeah. It's when um, Halo and Starfire are charging at Dr. Light, and she says, well, let me show them what the new Dr. Light can do. It just goes with this big blast of light, and they they cannot they cannot handle it. And she's had her powers for, like, minutes. Yeah. She, she seems like she's come out of this just, like, guns blazing and... Really ready to go, and yeah, yeah, she's so impressive. I, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. So, what's your uh, what's your Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy? So, Silly Villainy, one thing that's hard for me with Crisis is that I don't think we have enough Silly Villainy in general. Mm-hmm. But I really kind of enjoyed Vandal Savage just sipping wine and slowly observing the end of the world. And not really taking part in any active way and just sort of having a long trail of thought about all the all of these things. I just was like, okay. Well, we have a, little... a daily double. Oh! Mine, was, <laughs> mine was said Vandal Savage just being in shock. I specifically liked the bit where he said that he had to he had to figure out what, what the shadows were doing so he could better understand how to take over the world. Seemed like a little bit of a non sequitur. <laughs> right? It's like they're like, man, how do we put villains in here and try to relate them to what's going on? Well, they're here because they, they got to eventually know how to take over this world that's being eaten by antimatter. Right. I feel like Brainiac was kind of the same way. <laughs> oh, yeah. I also so, love like, how does Vandal Savage get to King Arthur's court? Is this like... I just imagine Vandal Savage is in, like, you have a picture in the history of the DC Universe. Vandal Savage is just chilling out in the back. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's a painting on the, like, a, here's like a fresco on the Sistine Chapel. Just and here's Vandal Savage. inserted into everything. <laughs> yeah. Vandal Savage, kind of a time tourist. 
All right. So, yeah, I I feel like I feel like we very well articulated some of our issues mm-hmm. with this comic and praised the parts that were done very well. Yeah, it's and almost like we're like doing a pretty good we, I, podcast. I just am like, well, I feel like that was insightful and it just it wasn't I'm glad we just weren't dunking on it the whole time. We found we found the bits. We found yeah. the nuggets that we liked that redeemed it. The likable nuggets. The likable nuggets. Yeah. That's what we're here for. We're just here. We're just readers. We're just here for the likable nuggets. <laughs> Probably why you're listening to this podcast too. <laughs> <laughs> for the likable for nuggets. Just a few likable nuggets. <laughs> Whew. Uh, well, I, um, I guess we've reached the end of our podcast. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to thank everybody who follows us on Twitter and Facebook and leaves us reviews on iTunes. We kind of haven't checked the iTunes reviews recently. Um, I don't think we have any new ones, but if you want to give us a review, we'd appreciate it and we'll shout you out on the show. Right. Uh, we are sorry for being a little bit late. Uh, but you know, this is a labor, labor of love and sometimes love takes time and sometimes... Right. Sometimes your podcast host is a very sleepily pregnant lady. So, right. Also, a very sleepy pregnant lady who just got done directing a middle school play. Yes, I'm glad you uh, qualified that with a middle school play. It's a it's a little less work than any other kind of play, but a little bit more work than any other kind of play I'm, as well. I'm not going to try to qualify that <laughs> one way or the other. I feel like I speak with no expertise. Oh. Um, yeah, so thanks, thanks to all of you for listening. We really appreciate, um, everyone who listens, um, as, as we kind of stumble our way through slight delays. Um, we're going to have to hopefully have the next episode up on time. Um, bear with us with that one, but we will do our absolute best to have it up on time. Mm-hmm. We'll do our best getting through these holidays, making sure we're getting stuff out to you and content out to you. Right. Our the podcast really is like, we do still have full-time jobs. And the podcast really isn't our job. No. So we're kind of, we kind of do this as like a fun hobby. Um, but we are, we do realize that if we're going to have listeners that we need to try to make it up to you guys for, for spending your time on us. Yeah. So thanks for listening. We hope you tune in again when we get to issue five and episode five of season two of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah. We uh, can't wait to talk about it. And until next time, slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours.